if you feel that you have 30 million people out there who are looking at your brand, I mean, that's the biggest political party. You know, 30 million people voted UK out of Europe. So, and there are brands who have twice the community today. So imagine if you help really this community to do something good. Hi, I'm Simon and you're listening to The Idealist Podcast, where Celia and I talk to people who rewrite the story of our global economy. There's one name in particular which is ever so tightly connected to corporate activism, often cited and a beacon for tons of entrepreneurs. Patagonia. They started out almost 50 years ago in a tin shed in Ventura, California, making better climbing and surfing gear. And while this still holds true today, the scope of what the company is for sounds very idealistic at first. We're in business to save our home planet. But being a $1 billion company, they're actually able to put their money where their mouth is. For years, they've been donating 1% of their sales. But more importantly, Patagonia mobilizes as many people as possible to create positive change for the planet. Through durable outdoor products, impressive documentaries and the support of grassroots organizations. At the very forefront of these environmental initiatives is Mihela Hladin-Wolf. She oversees and coordinates Patagonia's actions in Europe, Middle East and Africa from their headquarters in Amsterdam. As soon as you enter the office, you can really sense that the people not only pay lip service to their mission, but are all in on it. The cure for depression is action. With this mantra in mind, we were curious and asked what makes her excited about the future. What excites me about the future is actually, I, I, I do believe that humans are very creative. And um, I think if you add courage to that creativity, you know, we might be able to figure this one out, um, no matter how deep we are in the crisis um, today. So that's that kind of a courage of stepping into the new territories and like stepping fully into it, not being one foot in and one foot out and seeing like, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe Extinction Rebellion will not work out. Maybe Greta will start become silent, maybe, but like fully supporting and acknowledging that, wow, something like that hasn't happened in, in my lifetime. You know, what's going on with the streets today? What's going on with businesses? What's going on with the government? It is sad, but it's also a very exciting moment to feel that this big shift is coming. Mm -hmm. Do you think it is a tipping point right now? I think we need people to be determined and persistent of doing mass mobilization and, uh, you know, pushing the government, pushing the businesses to be better, businesses rediscovering what our purpose is, um, you know, putting really planet and people at the core of why we do business. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about tipping point. I would talk maybe about the bigger shift that is coming and it's always hard to know where we are. Are we in the middle or towards the end? But, you know, if you just think about the last year at that time, there was almost nothing what we have today, right? We had like 8 million people on the streets just recently. We had biggest rebellions with, you know, thousands and thousands of people who are willing today to get arrested for the crisis that we are in. A year ago, you sit here, none of this We had no idea. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, the public reception or public image you talk about. That at least now everyone is. Uh, yeah, and in the same, aware. the same for politics, right? If you would walk in December last year into the European Parliament and mention the Green New Deal, mm -hmm. they would, they, you would have a blank uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> response. Probably the same with businesses. If you would start talking about the climate commitments that are, you know, five years uh, from now, would still, I think it would be a lot, just like you know, they wouldn't have them. So I think that last year showed that 
a big shift is coming. A lot of things that we thought it's not possible last year, it's becoming possible and it's becoming urgent too. I mean, just in the last two years at Patagonia, you know, my colleagues in US got evacuated a couple of times, not just once from the fires. And now in Australia, the same and in Japan uh, because of the hurricane. So it, it's really, I mean, the, the weather event, the, um, the scale of the changes around us are now, yeah, it's kind of hard to grasp compared to a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So I think people started to really also feel it. Right. And if you talk about the last year, what would you say would are those, because you are the director of environmental initiatives, what are those in that in the kind of massive movement of over the last year, what were the initiatives? How were the translation between the business side of Patagonia to the action side on, on the streets, for example? Well, I think it was very timely last year in December, our founder and owner, also called us together in December. And he's been talking about the change of the mission statement for, for quite a while. But, you know, he's never a man of really like big announcements. He just kind of goes with the flow. And when the time is right, he'd say it and then it would be like that. And, uh, you know, Patagonia has been living up to the mission of building the best product, causing no unnecessary harm and then inspiring other businesses. Um, for like 30 years and we were very comfortable with this you know it was also you could take one piece of the mission statement and you know justify it and and so on and he's been talking for uh, for for the last year not this year but last year it's not enough anymore it's not enough just to inspiring it's not it's not enough just to do no unnecessary harm we need to start seeing where where we really have a positive impact on these big negative changes that are going on and then last year in December he called us together and said from now on we are in business to save our home planet that's our new mission i don't know the solutions for it but you'll figure it out mm -hmm. and that was kind kind of it it was a small town hall i was at that time in us for some other things and that's it and i, I we came back all all of us with that and we were like what does that mean mm -hmm. we are in business to save our home planet but it gave us really honestly kick in the ass To say like, yes, we are a great business, but are we really changing the necessary things that need to be changed today in order to reverse the course we are on? Mm -hmm. So everyone from product to marketing to finance to customer service started to ask themselves, in my world, how what does this mean? And we haven't got all the answers even a year later, but yeah. the company moved with a very different pace and also a very different motivation. You know, I mean, on one hand, he trusts you. And on the other hand, he's saying like, you have to figure it out, mm -hmm. um, leaving you alone as well. Mm -hmm. How would you say, because many companies have a mission statement, but they don't activate it. What is the secret behind Patagonia that you, as thousands of people uh, working at the company, want to figure out what this mm -hmm. actually means? Yeah, you know, I think if I would work for another company and, and somebody would come on one sunny day and say that, you know, I would have a million of questions, right? But it is true that we've been doing a lot of this in the past 40 years. So we've been always very dedicated on preserving the wild spaces, on supporting the grassroots community, the grassroots environmental organizations around the world, you know, giving a lot of money, running campaigns around the issues that would otherwise not really make it to the dinner or business table, right? Um, so I think because, you know, this pressure is mounting from where the climate and ecological crisis is today and then our size of the business is also growing and you know I think it's really needed to have a critical look at it it's like are we doing a lot 
or are we really doing the, the important stuff? And um, there is no easy question to that, but um, Patagonia has always been also very experimental. So Yvonne would always say, you know, that he runs this as an experiment and he would always um, also encourage us. It's like, you know, try new stuff, you know, and it's not going to work every time. And I think that's a nice way also working for a company that is privately owned. Um, then you try things and then ask for forgiveness a little later if it doesn't work, but you are always really encouraged. Um, to do what feels right for you. And keep learning that way. And keep learning, exactly. How do you learn if you never fail, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's like the whole, let's say, responsible business journey. It's a journey. There is no like end date to it. You know, we all evolve and learn. And while the planet around us, you know, is collapsing, it's like our um, impact today is very much different than it was 10, 20 years ago, but also in terms of the supply chains and our own footprint, we learned so much. We would go in with one or two products and then 70, 80% of our products would, you know, either support the re recyclable materials or fair trade and so on. And that never started as like, we will be 100%. We said, let's try. So this also means that it's a lot of risk that is asked from you to take. Um, um, yes. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. And risk is usually in a business world something you try to avoid or mitigate in, in some sort of way and, and trying to, you know, go the safe, profitable, execute that route at best way possible. You know, is this just the founder's spirit that, that is still so strong and that everyone can go that route and, and trust him on, on that kind of intuition or, or that that strong mission that, that he No, I think, I think, well, of course, his, you know, philosophy is very strongly present um, at Patagonia, but it's, um, you know, the whole organizational culture that somehow was able to grow with our growth um, as well. And I think the harder uh, things are coming at us, the better we are as a company. So when, you know, when we decided that it's not enough to just be small and do all the experiments because other big companies would always say Patagonia can do it because, mm. you know, you're our Californian-based surf company, of course, you can afford to do small changes, but now we are not anymore, right? So we are a sizable business um, now. So the game is very different um, now, but you cannot have all these visions and strategies and mission if people within the company don't feel doing this. If they, if they feel like, yes, we want to, let, let's say we want to have this back uh, completely recyclable in a year, uh, but the solution doesn't exist. You need to have people who are willing to go this extra mile, you know, or like bring the carbon footprint on this product down or make it fair trade and so on. So you need to have people who believe, you know, that this is the right thing to do and then they'll figure it out how to get there. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually came a lot with, of course, with the connection with nature itself, that people cherish it. You know, we've always been protecting the spaces. We've always been enjoying these spaces. So that's one really strong bond. And another one is that we've always been really connected to the environmental organizations, smaller ones, you know, people who, like you said before, would start something out of passion. You know, they'll protect this river out of because they live next to it or the forest or fight against the coal mine and so on. And with us, this is not kind of a charity. It's not running through a separate foundation. It's really embedded in the way we do business and we work with these groups. And They keep you on the toes all the time, you know. You mm -hmm. know what's going on out on the street. You are not in isolated because it's not just your house that it's here on fire. It's the whole street, right? So <laughs> you need to clean up your house, but also take care of the rest of the streets. Right. If you zoom out and, and look at the, the players that are in that system, and we have the companies that we 
mm-hmm. talk about now as a, as a Patagonia, as a business company in the system. And you have the consumer side, people mm-hmm. buying, which is also overlapping, but for that sake, consumer side, and you have the regulators, kind of the governments and mm-hmm. all those, the institution regulating the market. And now Patagonia, I think, is a company that says, okay, consumers are in the power to change um, in, in their demand from, from, from other companies that they act and, and transform their way of, of doing business. Mm. Um, other people say, okay, we have to rely on regulators and, and doing this the global or the, the big way and come in with, with regulations mm-hmm. that take care of that, which is also happening. Um, others say, okay, the business itself has to kind of challenge it and, and reinvent themselves towards a you know, more sustainable, more yeah, reliant partner in the world uh, what is is there a truth that you know where the power lies or is this just yeah I, I think we as people just are trained to think linear right we, we think like if something like here happened it will lead to that but actually life never works like this and you know also the the big change is never just from one source so um it's always a collective action right and then at the end you know somebody will 20, 30 years from now, we'll look back and we'll analyze from the, you know, anthropology side, from the, from all the sides, like how did that change happen? And, and maybe they'll see the pattern, like who was really leading it. I feel like that we as a business um, do have a very big responsibility. And part of the responsibility is also not to keep things for ourselves. So that collective action among other businesses is very needed, right? So now we we shouldn't be uh, competing on who will solve microplastics issue because it's too big. You know, we should be here cooperating together. And that's a very different narrative and logic for businesses. Mm -hmm. But if you look at, for example, Benefit Corporation, B Corp, right? We became a B Corp in 2011. And how this movement grew and probably a lot of I saw you also interview Nate. Um, this is a this is a sign, right? There is the old system is dying, right? And this is kind of a sign of of a new system or a transitional system that mm. businesses are stepping in. The same thing we've done with one percent. We've been giving one percent of our sales to the environmental organizations, and then we also formed an organization that can do that for other businesses. So it becomes a business model. So one percent you give to the environmental organizations because you'll never be able to zero your footprint. You know, it's not possible. So that giving needs to be part of your business plan. And then, yeah, try to match with the organizations that are actually, you know, working and speaking your values. So I think this collective action among businesses, but then also among customers, um, I feel sometimes businesses are also underestimating their influence that they have. Because if you only look at pushing the product to people and yeah, finding that ideal market niche and you know I think that's such an old thinking right if you feel that you have 10 20 30 million people out there who are looking at your brand I mean that's the biggest political party you know 30 million people voted UK out of out of Europe so and there are brands who have twice the community today Mm. so imagine if you help really this community to do something good like we are just finalizing now the campaign where we said we are going to match uh, euro by euro um, for the environmental organizations and we had no idea we put a cap on 10 million we said we will match to the 10 million and we thought you know we overestimated in three weeks we mm. got to 10 million in three weeks wow. people donated wow. 10 million mm. to small environmental organizations in us and europe mm. 
So I feel like there is such a big um, urgency out there. People feel it. People want to participate. So why wouldn't business give an opportunity? And business can make it easy as well for consumers to act. I think sometimes you're just, you maybe don't, you want to help or you want to contribute, but you don't know where to start. Yeah. And I think that's also part of Patagonia that the work you do and the people do at Patagonia makes it easier for other businesses to follow but also consumers to take action. Yeah, I don't know. We like This is a little bit back and forth. This action, for example, now it's easy. It's donate money because like the small grassroots are the most underfunded in the whole environmental movement. But on the other side, a lot of things that we do is actually bring very complex issues on, um, you know, in front of our audiences and discuss it with them and not being able to say, you do one, two, three, four, but it's like, you need to learn, right? You need to learn that we will run out of wild fish because we are putting fish farms in. Like we do fish farming the same we do any other animal farming on the land, right? Like uh, two years ago, we had a campaign about Blue Heart and the, and the dams. And we started to speak about, you know, what is the new renewable mix? Everyone's talking, we need to get to the renewables, but are we going to dam all the rivers and are we going to ruin all the other ecosystems, you know, just to kind of um, make sure that our first for energy is not going going to be damaged. And these are the topics that, you know, a lot of times also really confuse people. But I think what's the good part of it is that the way we do it is if we do films, so we would produce high quality films and then we would distribute them in a, in a way that people come together and discuss. Like they're in a physical space with, with people who have different opinions, same opinions and so on. And I think that's what is so needed today, that we actually have time to digest, not just flip through you know, short messages, all the noise that is out there. So how do you push through the noise and make people stop a little bit, think, and then they can form the opinion how they are going to do it. Right. And as you said, one means of doing that for Patagonia is uh, doing movies, doing films. Yes. Um, you were, I think, involved within the Blue Heart yes. movie a lot. Yes. And there are artificial, for example, and a lot of movies that got produced. And I think mm -hmm. Ivan said you're a movie company or a film company now. Mm -hmm. yes. um, <laughs> And as as long as uh, humanity exists, I think that that art of telling a story and, and exactly. captivating people into yeah. at least talking about something or also influencing them in, in what they talk about. Um, and you asked me about before where the change will come. Yeah. Storytelling is a big part mm. of like which story will really bring people on, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so. And so this is kind of your way of your way of activating because, again, movie making or filmmaking could also be seen as well as you know that's another part of business we're in right this is something we do for profit because it's yes profitable and to, i to think do. that we've been discussing that like what if that department at one point will mm. become profitable and then what is wrong with that if you are actually pursuing really mm. high quality documentaries on environment that nobody else would take on just because they are they are very complex right and we started six years ago the first full featured film came out damnation and it was a very unusual way for a textile company to talk about dams in 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 us but you know we've been protecting rivers since the beginning a lot of our community you know are enjoying um, the rivers and the whole movement in us was a bit like 
deflated, you know. And um, I think Yvonne got an idea, got a director on board, and it's a beautiful film. And even now, I would hear from groups that work on River sometimes saying like, "Oh my God, this film helped us bring community together again, help us restart the conversation." The whole dam removal here for Europe started out of this, which is not saying that we are so great. It's saying like that these things really matter. Where you put your marketing dollars and your creativity does mm-hmm. matter as a brand. Right. And I guess that's also the responsibility of your job. I think most people would say, wow, that's the dream company and admire what Patagonia is doing. But it also comes with a huge responsibility to have this role at this type of company having impact. Yes. And we would also never, like, it's not our thing that we would come out as a Patagonia having this point of view alone in front of the government, in front of the other businesses. We are always trying to bring the community together. So we are looking at the issues that have been addressed already by the community, but need a bigger voice because otherwise things won't change. So that's why nobody would know today about these women who were sitting on the bridge, you know, in, in Bosnia for like eight months, were beaten and everything. Um, nobody would know about them. But like once you once you discover this story, they give a lot of people that are fighting for this locally, like a really huge boost that it's mm-hmm. worth it. And that, that at the end, when all the government policies, when all, you know, the big promises fail, these are the people who at the end protect the last stretch of forest or the last part of the river. And speaking about responsibility in my job, I will say a lot of people think this is a dream job, but I will tell you that having this job, not just that it comes with responsibility, also comes with, you need to have a great perseverance because the amount of bad news that is out there every day, you need to be able to handle it. (laughs) And it's coming Mm -hmm. all the time. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that's that's the question because if you if you talk about environmental initiatives, you immediately think about what's wrong about the environment, right? And I think, from my perspective, the the movies, for example, could also show the other way around. Like, what's the beauty of nature and what could be preserved as such, right? If um, I think I don't know the title of the tree movie, I don't know exactly. Tree line. Yes. yes, tree line. Yes. Yeah. It's an amazing, like yeah. captivating story, art, like artsy story yeah. of trees, which is very... Yeah, and this is meeting people where they are, right? Mm. So like, how do you invite them into the community? Not everyone wants to go and sit out on the streets, you know, no, not everyone is ready for that. Not everyone is ready to give money. So like, how can you start grasping people and bringing them together? Mm-hmm. Um, and then giving them, yeah, giving them enough, not education or information, but yeah, giving them enough content that they are like, okay, they, they go home and they can't just forget about it. You mm-hmm. know, it's something mm-hmm. that keeps drilling and keeps right. staying. And it works, right? As it, and I know many people who went vegetarian after seeing some sort of documentary, right? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's very you know, simple mechanism in that way. Well, we also, let's say, have a bit of, a, let's say, different storytelling on all this is that um, usually we've never been telling people that as long as they do something as individuals is enough, right? Like we really try to paint or like we try to storytell around that these are system changes mm. that we need. So yes, it's important not to eat so much meat. It's important not to buy farmed salmon, but this itself is not going to change it, right? So we have to be out there in front of the governmental offices. We have to be speaking to the businesses. We have to be speaking to the banks that are financing that. So that's a whole complexity of, of where these kind of root causes sit Mm-hmm. And, and, and create a scale that is today a little bit like really intimidating to look at it and say, oh, where, where do you start? But you need to start somewhere. And then you learn that maybe that door was the wrong one to knock. Right, right. <laughs> and then yeah. you go to another one. Yeah. 
And for you, it might seem like an obvious question, but activism for you or in, in Patagonia is like the weapon of choice. Like this is like an activist company which supports activism on the streets and also um, yeah, funds um, grassroots activism organizations. Why, why not do it any other way? I, I get that you have the, the, the big leverage of a big company, a billion dollar company, and then distribute it or part of it distributed to like grassroots, small activists, organizations. Why is that decision to distribute that in, in a small, in like smaller groups? Because it's been such an important part of our history from the very beginning. Like we started to fund the first um, small organization that was called uh, the Friends of Ventura River. Behind our office, there is Ventura River who's been dammed and, and damaged in all sorts of ways already in the, um, you know, in the early 20th century. And then in the mid-century, when we started, um, so in the 1970s, another sewage pipe was about to go in. And basically one student was able to defend the whole project or to prevent the whole project to happen. So that's where it started. We didn't have money at that time. We gave him a desk and a phone and he called himself Friends of Ventura River, although he was just one. Mm -hmm. And I think that was kind of an inspiration for it. And then we started with, you know, a couple of groups and so on. And today we fund more than probably 1,400 groups. So also statistically wise, like 90% of all the, the funding goes into the big organizations. So then you also, of course, fund all the administration and, you know, all the advocacy that is also important. We are not saying we just found our place that has more of a also a narrative and, and the feeling that we have, like we always talk what we think and, you know, we're not too careful. If you read Yvonne's interviews, you'll see what I mean. You know, it's very direct. And that's like how we want to fund to really directly and being with these people and then also discussing with them what else is needed, like beyond this $10,000, what else do you need? And sometimes a campaign like Blue Heart would come out where we would find eight, nine, ten organizations with a good strategy fighting for something that is totally under um, under area everyone's radar and then we say okay this has a potential mm -hmm. and yeah. we'd go for it yeah. yeah and that's also tying into the patagonia action works where yeah. you are kind of the dating platform for people who want to get involved and the yes. uh, and the initiatives that are already running. Yeah. yeah. So for 40 years we've been funding and we would, you know, at the end of the years issue a book which would call an initiatives book where it was like it became like a big phone book with all the organizations that we fund. So so three years ago on the Black Friday we had this campaign 100% for the planet mm. where we say whatever you buy from us that day we will we will give into the funding for the groups. And at that time it was also 10 million. So these 10 millions keep following us, I guess. Mm. And it was really a huge proof to us that, wow, people really, you know, people really want to get involved, right? So how do we get them involved beyond just buying the jacket or not even buying our jacket? And then we started to think, yes, of course, you know, um, life is going very digital. And also the younger generation is much more digital than even <laughs> I am. 1,400 groups, what do they need? We've done a lot of surveying with them. And then also with our customers, like how would they act? Like how would they, you know, on this ladder of engagement, how would they move from just clicking on the petition to like really activating their time and donating their skills and so on. And that's how this platform came about to really have all the organizations 
on it. They can ask for social amplification that we fund. They can ask for skill matching um, from us. They can publish the event and so on. So the idea is if you are wherever you are in Vermont, in Amsterdam, in, in Berlin, in Chamonix, that you go on the platform and say like, okay, what's going on in the valley? You click on it and you have the organizations we support there. Some valleys, we also don't have anyone, but that's the idea. And okay, how can I contribute? Oh, there's an event around the corner tomorrow where I can learn more about air pollution or like, oh, this, this, uh, this organization needs, um, you know, a web design skill. I can probably offer three hours of my time uh, next week. Or yeah, I need to sign a petition or actually I can give a little bit of money here. And how long did it take to develop this platform? It From took idea long. to it to took uh, I think it took more than probably a year and a half, and now it's been running in US for two years already, and we launched here in September. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And zooming out again, and having that you know dating app for uh, those grassroots organizations, and you have the one percent, and you have you know this. The but it's all connected, mm -hmm. right? So the organizations we are displaying on are our one percent grantees. Mm -hmm. So these are the organizations we we have a history with, and we are we are working with it. So yeah. we we didn't open platform to just everyone. Right. We wanted to keep the oversight on what's going on. But yeah, the main idea is like connect our customers with the grassroots environmentalists and vice versa. Right. And do you have the feeling that you, that Patagonia as a company can overdo it in that sense? I'm thinking of, it's a maybe a stupid way of thinking, but if I think about Red Bull, for example, right? This is a company which sells an energy drink, but is perceived as like everything else, right? Extreme sports, uh, whatever, helicopter flyings, music, whatever. Maybe it's a very good way or a good <laughs> good sign that Patagonia gets perceived as something else, as an outdoor gear company. Where do you think is the, the right balance between, you know, I'm, we're just a total, total activist company becoming, you know, something like transcending into something else. We started as an outdoor gear company. Or do you think, okay, this also has to be in balance somehow? I, I think the customers find the balance, right? The customer who love us for the product, only for the technical uh, side of the product, they buy the product. And then the people who we also consider our customers now who are using Patagonia Action Works just to find the groups and how to connect with them, you know, they go this. So so there are, there are many sides uh, to this, but hopefully a lot of people, you know, would eventually come in for the mission and value and for the product and would take side in the activism too. And this is where, I mean, we call it activism, right? But it's actually a collective action. So how can you scale this so people people know that it's not just enough to identify with the brand, like that you actually need to act and need to support at least the local groups because otherwise the change is not going to come. And that's very new, right? Because for a long, long time, especially us living in the cities, because everything is served to us, where maybe in Copenhagen is a bit different, but, you know, in a lot of countries, people are just kind of thinking that somebody else will solve the problem. And, you know, up until a year ago when kids started to strike and Extinction Rebellion came out, people were still thinking. There were, of course, groups who would be able to mobilize and go and close down the coal mines and, and do big, big mobilization, but it would be one off or two off, right? And now things started to really roll. And I always at the end, when we talk to other businesses and also other people and, um, you know, they would say, you Patagonia are doing so much. And at the end, you know, what really counts is looking at the emission chart. Are we able collectively to bring them down? Because, you know, at the end, if we are the only one doing all this and not, not enough 
of others are joining, we, that's not going to happen, right? And if you even see after the Paris Agreement, I mean, now we're just finalizing the COP with pretty big, um, um, I lost my English, disappointment, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but even after Paris, right, it didn't go not even little down. It just keeps on going out. So there's so many hidden things that are behind the curtain that people don't realize that are not really working for our future. They are really working against it. And how do you uncover this curtain and show it and then also show some steps towards this action? I do feel that this is not a Patagonia role only. This should be a role mm. of every business, of every government, of every civil um, society organization today. In that sense, probably that every business has to find their individual role in that. I think it of wouldn't course. be right to, to proclaim every business has to become an activist company, but... No, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But like like thinking that somebody else will solve all this is like, right. it's very important that you keep cleaning up your own business footprint, right? Mm. This, this should continue. And even here, like there is so much more finance that it's needed, you know, to really make supply chains, let's say, more circular and, you know, less carbon intensive and, and, and better for people. But then there is also like on the whole societal um, aspect is like, are all the institutions really working towards mm -hmm. bringing the emissions down or are we just kind of fooling ourselves thinking that, you know, a couple of these beacon, what you were saying, are going to do it. It's not, I'm afraid that this is not enough. Yeah. Do you think yeah. or do you have the impression that other companies or other people are waiting for Patagonia to do more and more and more so they can I be on the not. sofa? <laughs> I hope not. I think a lot of companies today are also in, in that race, you know, but there's also the true, a lot of them are not. Mm. And uh, these are usually a very big ones. Um, who, yeah, will need to move. And sometimes the policy will move them. But that mm. doesn't mean that we should wait for the policy because also the policy is not moving fast enough. Mm. That's the question of speed then. Because uh, you can change a business faster than you can change, uh, you know, exactly. government exactly. deciding what, what's right or wrong. And Yvonne would always say, and he can say that as an entrepreneur, he would say, every time I've done something good for the environment, mm. I made money. Right. But even that wouldn't be heard. I think sometimes, you know, even it's, it's a very a straightforward statement that when people realize that you are doing good things, they will come. Right. So you shouldn't be that much worried about this. But yeah, of course, there is always risk that they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that pendulum that maybe swung in the last 10 years after the financial crisis to that sort of hyper-capitalist worldview where you directly divide shareholders from, from stakeholders and just optimize for the shareholders' value. Do you have, again, hope is a terrible word for that, but I think in my observation is that, okay, th this is now fully on that side and has to kind of swing back as it usually does within, you know, mm. economies and, and all of that. But in this sense, I feel like it's not only an economy problem, it's an economy problem which also transcends then into this is a societal problem and a you know psychology problem and you know this is kind of gets merged in a weird way because you cannot rely on okay economy yes. gonna gonna solve it yeah. on its own right that's the yeah. invisible hand and it's gonna take care of it how much positivity is there that this is you know not just a regular swing but you know that we saw uh, like a major pendulum swing and this is gonna swing back into another direction 
Well, you know, if you look historically in the last 100 years when the big moments in the society um, happened, you know, we did come out um, sometimes as a better society and sometimes as much worse. So it's kind of hard to know what is going to happen um, this time. But yeah, it is a much... It's a much bigger and very deep-rooted problem. It's not fixing the economy will we'll fix um, everything. And by the way, I think that where we are today, we cannot talk about fixing anymore. We need to talk about complete restructuring mm-hmm. of, of how we or why we grow, how we grow, why this growth paradi- paradigm is, is there so deeply rooted in every policy, in every company and so on. I just feel that, you know, you look at the science, a lot of the policymakers would say, we need additional proof, you know, and then the proof is there and they wouldn't listen to it because it's just not convenient or it's not the long. So we are doing this to ourselves. It's the same with the companies, right? We need more and more research. We need more research that the customers will buy from us. We need more research that this is really urgent. A year, two years ago, when we would talk to businesses, sometimes business would say, customers wouldn't, they wouldn't care. And I would feel very offended as a customer too. Like, how would you say that I don't care about these things, you know? And today they're all on the street. So at least this, you don't need the proof anymore. People are upset. Young people are very upset. Um, So this is also part of the driver. Why I think like today not having climate goals as a company is just, no go anymore. And if you look out to the future, because you're in business to save the home planet, which you could also say like, there's a point in time where it's saved. I don't, yes, it's a journey, but I do think that the next five years are going to be really crucial ones for the businesses to really fully step in and accelerate, um, if you call it saving or reversing um, the course we are in. And, And if that doesn't happen, I, I think then it's going to be much, much harder or will be much less optimistic that any big changes can still happen. But I think the next five years, so it is also a great opportunity now. You know, we know everything. We know all the facts. <laughs> mm-hmm. No need for another scientist to tell us, you know, we are at the, at the brink. So now it's like, okay, how are we going to work without fossil fuels? How are we going to work with very limited resources? You know, it's a, it's a different planning Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, rate the show on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or maybe just tell someone about it. You can find all episodes on theidealists.co. As always, here's our last question. Who should we talk to next? I would suggest you talk to Dr. Bronner's uh, team. So either to David or Axel here in Germany, I think their their philosophy around also environmental activism and, and you know, a soap company going through a lot of hard times and then how, how strong they stand for these values of taking care of people and planet. It's very inspiring.